Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you could find your way to 1 Kings chapter 19 in the Old Testament, that's where I feel like we'll draw part of God's assignment for us tonight and the message that He has for us. And once you get there, you can hold your spot and go over and find the second half of our assignment, which will be in Philippians in the New Testament. But we're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 19. So if you want to make your way there and then also hold your place over in the book of Philippians, we'll get the second half of our message from that a little bit later on. But I'm excited to once again have been given the opportunity to share the Word of God with you guys tonight as we continue in our series, Attacking Anxiety. And tonight begins our fourth week of this particular study, which means that we've heard three full weeks of truths that we can apply to attack our anxiety. So, after three weeks, how many of you, by a show of hands, are anxiety-free? Nobody? Good. That means everybody here has a compelling reason to really lean in to God's Word tonight to hear what he has to share with us. And I shared with you a couple of weeks ago about how I felt that God had shown me three main areas of life where we tend to most often encounter anxiety or produce it in our lives. And we covered one area already a couple of weeks ago when we looked at anxiety over calling. And tonight we'll encounter the second one here in 1 Kings chapter 19. And it comes at the expense of the prophet Elijah. But before we pick up in this narrative, I want to give you the backstory of what's going on. That way we all have a full appreciation and understanding of what's taken place. During this time, the nation of Israel was ruled by a wicked king by the name of Ahab. And he had a very wicked wife whose name was Jezebel. And what they did was they ordered everybody in the nation of Israel to bow down and worship this false god named Baal. And if you didn't want to do that, it's either option A, bow down and worship Baal, or option B, don't and be killed. And so they were forcing the worship of this false god on the nation of Israel, and that's when God called Elijah to be one of his chosen prophets and to go and confront Ahab and the false prophets of Baal. And really, the whole story culminates in this big showdown on top of the mountain where you have Elijah standing there by himself representing the one true God, and you have King Ahab and 400 prophets of Baal representing his crew. And Elijah kind of makes a deal with him. He says, all right, we'll find out who the one true God is. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to take a bull, and you're going to sacrifice it on this altar. And I'm going to take a bull, and I'm going to sacrifice it on this altar. And we'll call out to our God and ask him to rain down fire from heaven to consume the altar. And whichever God rains fire down from heaven, then he is the one true God. And so the prophets of Baal and Ahab thought that's a pretty good deal. So they went for it, and they sacrificed their bull, and they began to cry out to Baal, asking him to rain down fire from heaven and consume the altar. And on and on and on and on and on, they cried out, and nothing ever happened. All day long they did this, to the point of where they were cutting themselves in anguish, trying to get Baal to respond. And in the meantime, Elijah's making fun of them over there. He's like, maybe you should shout louder. Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe he went on vacation. Maybe he's in the bathroom. I don't know. On and on and on they cried, and nothing ever happened. So Elijah said, my turn. But before I get started, I want you to fill up these barrels of water and I want you to pour it over the sacrifice. And so they did. 
And he said, well, I want you to fill them up again and dump them on there again. So they did. And so I'll tell you what, let's fill the barrels up one more time and dump the water on the altar again. So they did three times. Water was overflowing the altar and filled up a trench around it. And Elijah calls out to God. God rains down fire from heaven so hot that it licks up not just the sacrifice and the altar, but also the water that was around it. And so Elijah has just experienced this massive victory over Ahab and the prophets of Baal. And he runs back to the city of Jezreel. And it's really interesting when the power of God comes upon somebody, they can really do some extraordinary things. So if you were to look at the end of chapter 18, you would see that Elijah told Ahab to go back to Jezreel, to get on his horses and his chariots and go back to the city. And God's word tells us that the Spirit of God came upon Elijah so that he ran ahead of King Ahab and his chariots all the way back to Jezreel. So in case you missed that, the power of God so came upon Elijah that he and his two feet outran King Ahab's horses and chariots all the way back to the city. So just imagine plopping down in a chariot and horses are running full speed and you look off to the side and here comes a man just straight up sprinting right past your horses. Elijah outran him all the way back to the city. And that's the kind of excitement we should have in our lives when God gives us a major victory. To do some crazy stuff like that, to outrun horses or something wild, I don't know. Crazy stuff in the Bible, you should pick it up and give it a read every now and then. And so Elijah has this massive victory, and so that's where we pick the story up. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1, God's Word says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Here's where we find the second area of life that anxiety is often found in. And it will serve as a subject of our message tonight, and that's anxiety over circumstance. When Jezebel learns about what has happened, she becomes furious with Elijah. She swears to kill him the first opportunity that she has to do so. And Elijah becomes filled with fear and he takes off running from Jezebel. And it's just interesting, right? He just called down fire from heaven and God consumed this altar. And now because this woman breathes out a threat against him, now he's going to run away? We'll come back to that. But he becomes filled with fear and he takes off running. And, you know, the farther he runs from the situation, the more he thinks about his circumstance. And the more that he thinks about his circumstance, the more his anxiety over it begins to control him. We all face circumstances in life that have the potential to produce anxiety in us. It might be health problems. It could be job issues, work-related stress. It could be family tension. Could be your relationship status or lack thereof. And, you know, here's what I found. The circumstances don't even have to be bad ones to produce anxiety within us. Sometimes it's even the good circumstances of life that have the potential to produce anxiety within us. And here's what I've learned is that great anticipation can easily become great anxiety. Let me give you an example of what I mean. New parents, when they first get the news that they're going to have a baby, they can't wait for that baby to get there. But what's funny is the closer and closer that due date gets, oftentimes the more anxious they begin to become. So all that excitement when we first got the news is now turning into anxiety 
Now that the baby's about to be here because reality sets in that I've never been a parent before. I actually don't have a clue what I'm doing or how to handle this situation when this living human being gets here. Great anticipation swapped over to great anxiety. I'll give you another example. A freshman enters college and instantly can't wait to graduate. Amen? But then your senior year rolls around and graduation is here. And now all of a sudden anticipation turns into anxiety because one thing is ending and something new is about to start and I'm not sure if I'm prepared to handle it or not. Let me give you one more example. A recently engaged couple can't wait to get married. There's such great anticipation when that first happens but the closer and closer that day gets the more and more anxious that couple will become. It's funny how easily great anticipation can switch over to great anxiety. And anxiety over circumstances, as we learn from Elijah here, produces things within us that quite simply just aren't any good. And so what I want us to see is that anxiety over circumstance, first and foremost, what it does is it isolates it isolates. Go back and look at verse 3 with me. It says that then he was afraid. So Elijah's afraid of this threat that Jezebel has breathed out against him. And he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. So Elijah runs from Jezreel all the way to Beersheba, which was approximately 120 miles. It's a long way to take a jog. All he cared about was getting as far away from the circumstance that he found himself in as he possibly could. And that's what happens when bad circumstances come into our lives, right? We're so quick to just run and run and run to see how far away we can get ourselves removed from that circumstance. And once he gets there, once he gets to Beersheba, don't miss this little detail in Scripture. It says that he leaves his servant behind and goes even further into the wilderness. Everywhere Elijah went, he had this servant. He's not named. We don't know who he is. But he was there to help Elijah in his ministry. So Elijah takes off running, and he gets to Beersheba, and he gets to a certain point, he turns, and he looks at his servant, and he says, you know what, you just hang out here. And he goes a whole nother day's journey into the wilderness. And what he is doing is he's isolating himself, which is what anxiety will do. Anxiety will isolate you. And he finally crashes under a broom tree, and he tells God, I've had enough, I'm ready to die, I'm no better than my fathers who have come before me. And this is why isolation is a dangerous part of anxiety, because isolation can plunge you into depression. And it's a very, very real and common struggle in our society, especially in your age range. And what we see is Elijah isolating himself. And the more he does so, the more depressed he becomes. And it's interesting to me that he falls under a broom tree because Elijah then proceeds to sweep away all the positive things in his life, forgetting all of God's past works 
See, what you may not know about Elijah's life is that God had miraculously provided him food by sending it to him through ravens when he didn't have access to any. And after he moved him from that place, he sent him to a widow's house who had one tiny jar of oil left to feed her and her son. But God multiplied that jar into so many that there was no more room to put any in the house. On top of that, he had just witnessed God rain down fire from heaven. But what's funny is when you begin to allow anxiety over your circumstances to creep in and you isolate yourself, you instantly begin to forget all the miraculous and powerful ways that God has provided and sustained you in times past. And so he begins to sweep all those things out of his life. And so a couple of weeks ago, our anxiety over calling, if you guys remember, it's like breathing into the bag. But the difference with this is anxiety over circumstance, it's like sweeping with a broom. And you start running, just trying to get away from that circumstance that you're in, in the process, isolating yourself, and then you begin sweeping. You begin sweeping all the good things out of your life, forgetting about how God has provided for you, forgetting about how God has sustained for you in times past, only focusing on the struggles that you have at hand. Somebody breathes out a threat, and instantly Elijah just sweeps out all those times that God had provided. And you run into a difficult circumstance in life, and you do the same thing, and you may not even realize it. Our anxiety will cause us to do things subconsciously a lot to where we don't even realize what's taking place, and you start instantly sweeping out all the good things that are going on in your life where God has provided and sustained you in the past. But that's not the only thing that anxiety does, especially with circumstances. It's not just that it isolates. It's that it also irritates. Go back to the text in verse 5, the second half of verse 5. It says that he, he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold... An angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So Elijah is going deeper and deeper and deeper into isolation. Verse 9, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. So he's so deep in isolation now that he's in a cave all by himself, hiding from Jezebel. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, and thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So Elijah is now hiding in a cave, and he's asked an interesting question by God. What are you doing here? Anxiety will very easily place you out of position when it comes to God's will for your life. What are you doing here, Elijah? This isn't the place that you're supposed to be in. I wonder how many times in my life personally, as God looked down from heaven and had the thought, Trey, what are you doing here? Why are you in this place? This is not where I have led you. This is not where I have called you to be. But you know, the way that Elijah responds reveals that he's extremely irritated. The way he responds really reveals the attitude of his heart. And the same is true in our lives. The way in which you respond to things will oftentimes reveal the attitude and the position of your heart. 
And so Elijah responds in a way that shows that he's irritated. He's mad about the circumstance that he feels God has just uncaringly allowed to happen. And when we get irritated with somebody, our default response is to remind them of all that we've done for them, which is exactly what Elijah does. And it's a natural reaction for us. When you get irritated, when you get mad with somebody, you, you might particularly find this to be true one day when you're married because our worst sides always come out to those that we love the most. And you'll find it to be particularly true. If your spouse makes you mad, if your spouse irritates you, even in your relationships right now, you're quick to remind them of all the stuff that you've done for them. And that's what Elijah does with God. I've been very jealous for the Lord God. Nobody else wanted to serve you in Israel, but I did. I stood up for your honor. I defended your name. I was the only one on that mountaintop, God, fighting off these prophets of Baal. And now they want to kill me. It's a pretty raw deal, God. He's frustrated. When you get anxious over your circumstance, it will often irritate you as well. And you become angry. And you lash out specifically to God. I always type out my notes for my sermons. And at the top, I have a little header that will show what the series is and what the title of the specific message is. And I always try to make a matter of going back and proofreading before I print my notes. And I caught a mistake today. I did. Sometimes you overlook your own mistakes, but today I caught one, and it was at the very top of my paper. The series is called Attacking Anxiety, and I have that at the very top. But for some reason, when I went back and looked, I had typed Attacking God. And I thought, whoa! Definitely not doing a series on Attacking God. That's kind of jacked up. But I was like, what in the world? Where did that come from? But God pointed something out to me. When you get anxious over the circumstances in your life, oftentimes that's exactly what you will do. You will attack God. And that's exactly what Elijah did. Why did you allow this to happen? Better yet, almighty sovereign God, why don't you do something to fix it? And in the process, in the process of becoming irritated, you began to sweep out all of your joy. But there's one more thing. One more thing we need to see about anxiety. It's not just that it isolates and it's not just that it irritates. But when we get anxious over circumstances in our life, it will also cause you to become indifferent. Look back at the text, verse 11. Chapter 19, the conversation continues. God speaks to Elijah and he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away 
To be indifferent is to have a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern for something. And God told Elijah to go and stand outside the cave. But Elijah didn't go and stand outside the cave. Did you notice that? God wanted Elijah to stand outside the cave while all these other things passed by. But Elijah didn't do that. He stayed inside the cave. Elijah didn't obey God's instruction until after all these other things had happened. And then he heard the sound of a whisper. That's when he went outside. But God doesn't ask you to be delayed in your obedience. He asked for immediate obedience. And Elijah just sat there while all these other things passed by. Why? Because he's becoming different. Once again, God asked Elijah, what are you doing here? In other words, he said, Elijah, I'm going to give you a second chance to repent. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come clean. And Elijah could have let God restore him and put him back on the right path, but he didn't do that. Instead, he gave the same response, which says to me, in Elijah's heart, I don't care anymore. I'm burned out, and I'm done with this ministry. And this is where anxiety will take you. It will make you indifferent to the things of God. Anxiety will make you indifferent to the things of God. And before you realize it, you'll be sweeping away your calling. And you'll be sweeping away your desire to praise God. And you'll be sweeping away your enthusiasm to serve Him. You'll be sweeping away your concern for other people to know Him. And so, how do we handle this? When circumstances of life hit that you can't understand or control, at times then a temptation to become anxious follows, how do we handle it? How can we attack our anxiety over circumstance? I need you to go to Philippians. We're going to find the answer to that. And what we find in Philippians is a man by the name of Paul who also just so happens at this point in his life to be going through a difficult circumstance. Through a difficult cir- Elijah was going through a difficult circumstance with Jezebel's threat, Paul's going through a difficult circumstance in the sense that he's locked away in prison at the moment. But there are two very different ways in which these men chose to handle the anxiety that could have crept in with their circumstances. And Paul gives us a great example of how we can attack this anxiety and be rid of it and be free from it. The next time it shows up, we can have a defense against it. So look at Philippians chapter 1. In verse 12, Paul says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, remember he's in prison, has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, if you are going to attack your anxiety when it comes to certain circumstances in life, You have got to see purpose in the place. Everybody say purpose. You've got to see purpose in the place that you're in. Paul couldn't do anything about the circumstance that he found himself in. And oftentimes in life, you cannot control the circumstances that you will find yourself in. But what Paul did was he saw purpose in him being in that place. And instead of trying to escape your circumstances... Maybe God wants you to embrace your circumstances instead. And Paul chose to do that. He says, I'm here to give testimony. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually happened to serve in advancing the gospel. He says, this is good. It's good that I'm in prison. 
Why? Because God placed me to be a testimony of His love and His grace and His mercy. And because He has had me in this prison, the entire prison guard has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's finding purpose in the place that you're in, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. He says, and not only that, because of my imprisonment here, other brothers and sisters in Christ have become emboldened and encouraged to be strong in their faith as well. Paul says, I, I got purpose in this place. You might get a diagnosis one day. You might lose a job. You might have family tension going on. You might sit there wondering tonight if you'll ever find the one. But during those times, you must look for and understand that there's purpose in that place. There's purpose in my pain. There's purpose in my waiting. There's purpose in my struggle. There's purpose in my trial. You attack anxiety by finding purpose. Paul teaches us another lesson. The next step to attacking your anxiety. Look back in the text, verse 15. He says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And listen to what he says, sitting in the middle of prison. And in that I rejoice. If you want to attack your anxiety, you have to look for a reason to rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. You've got to look for a reason to rejoice if you're going to attack your anxiety. In spite of his circumstance, sitting in prison, Paul found reason to rejoice. Listen, no matter how bad the circumstances of your life may be, if you have Jesus Christ in your life, you can find a reason to rejoice. Let me, let me give you, let me give you some, some practical application. I think this is real good for attacking anxiety. Rejoicing repels anxiety. Rejoicing actually repels anxiety. Why? Because they're counters. And so if you'll learn to rejoice, you can begin to repel a lot of anxiety out of your life. I may not have all that I want, but I've got all I need. I may not be rich, but I'm not poor. I may be struck down, but I'm not destroyed. I may be persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. I may be afflicted, but I'm not crushed. Find a reason to rejoice. You attack your anxiety by finding reasons to rejoice. Try it. Try it. One last thing. We're wrapping it up. Paul gives us one little tidbit, one more tidbit of how we can attack the anxiety that we face through life's circumstances. Look at verse 19. He says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. If you want to attack your anxiety, then you should know that through Christ, you can depend on deliverance. Everybody say deliverance. You can depend on deliverance. Paul knew that one way or another, God would eventually deliver him. And that brought him hope even in the midst of trying circumstances. And Paul even saw it to this extreme. Even if I die in here, that will turn out for my actual deliverance. Can I encourage you? 
because I know circumstances are hard. And I know we go through trying times in life. You won't stay in the place that you're in forever. You won't stay in that place forever. Especially when you know Christ. Because there's an interesting name that we find for God in the Old Testament. He says that I am Jehovah Mephalti. You know what that means? The Lord, my deliverer. You're not going to stay there forever. He will deliver you out of that place. And so you can begin to attack your anxiety when it comes knocking at the door because you can depend on his deliverance. Amen? And so the next time anxiety wants to creep into your life because of difficult circumstances or maybe even because of good circumstances, you can remember even in the midst of the most trying times, you know what? Somewhere in the midst of all this, there's a purpose in me being here. And you know what? Now that I think of it, i got a lot of reason to rejoice, even though things are hard right now. I have the joy of my salvation. I have a God who provides for me. I have a God who sustains me. I have clothes on my back and food in my refrigerator and clean water five steps away. i got a lot to rejoice about. And then on top of that, I might not be able to see the end of it right now, but I can depend on deliverance because I know I'm not going to stay in this place forever. And even if I die in this circumstance, I will be delivered on the other side.